Hello, and welcome to Auntie Sandy's Storyland. Please join us at our new home on the Lotus Prison Network at patreon.com. Our story for today is Tommy the Powerless Front Porch Tales and North Country Whoppers, Part 2. Counting. The tourist was busy taking photos. Hello. Howdy. I heard there are more cows than people in Vermont. Ah-yah. How did that happen? We prefer them. Fall. Sitting. I know this is a true story because a friend of mine knew these two young fellas living in the old farmhouse out there on the Greendale Road. And they told him about the night they was invited to a set. And he told me they was living what they called the simple life. They heated the farmhouse with wood and ate real simple, baking their own bread and stuff like that. They did some artwork and some weaving. They was real good friends with those monk fellas that lived up County Road in a place called Priory. Now, one of those locals had taken those monks and those two fellas under his wing. That was Frank Stevens. He and his two sons helped the monks out with building a barn and taking care of the cues. Frank showed them how to tap their sugar maples so they could make maple syrup to sell. Frank and his wife Maud lived on Route 100 in a kind of ramshackle house. The two sons had small houses on the same property. There was always a bunch of dogs around, and the yard was mostly filled with old car parts and old tractors. One day, Frank stopped by the fellas' house with an invite. Maud and I would like it if your two fellas would come and sit with us on Saturday evening around 7 after supper. The fellas accepted, feeling it was quite a compliment to be invited. They arrived exactly at seven. Another car was sitting in front of Frank's house. The light was on over the kitchen door. The front door that went into the parlor was only used for weddings or funerals. Frank answered their knock and right into the kitchen they went. There was four kitchen chairs set up in a neat row. One of the chairs was taken by Lonnie Fuller, an old friend of Frank's who lived farther up Route 100. It was his car that was sitting outside. Mrs. Stevens, Maud, was perched on a stool next to the big black iron cook stove. She was feeding kindling into it. On the other side of her was a small kitchen table covered with a clean dish towel. Something was rising underneath it. Maud had the arthritis pretty bad, so she didn't move around too much. Maud nodded greeting to the fellas. She didn't say nothing, though. The same with Lonnie Fuller. The two fellas sat down on the chairs Frank pointed at. They all sat. The stove crackled, and the kitchen clock ticked loudly. They sat some more. Maud moved on her stool and uncovered some dough on the table. She pulled a big pan of grease over to the hot spot on the stove. Then she began to cut and fry donuts. The sizzling of frying joined the crackling of the stove and the ticking of the clock. One of the chairs creaked as Frank adjusted his weight. They said, Maud piled her tasty donuts on a platter, and Frank passed them around with some cider. 
Nothing was said. They sat and they sat and they sat. The clock struck nine. Lonnie stood up. Well, thank you, Frank and Maud. Nice evening. The two young fellows did the same. I hear they didn't say a word as they drove home. On Monday, they saw Frank. Thanks for coming, Frank said. Maud and I was saying that Saturday was one of the best sets we ever had. Bessie tells time. There is a story in the state of Maine about a rich lady who was driven round the state throwing lupine seeds out the car's back window. She wanted to make Maine a prettier place, and as sure as a lobster has two claws unless it's been in a fight, she did. All you have to do is drive around Maine in the spring and you'll see for yourself. But there's a story about another rich lady driving round too. I heard that this here rich lady was driving round the hills of Vermont to look at the fall foliage. Now that don't seem at all unusual. Lots of people, men, ladies, children, rich and not quite so rich, pour into Vermont in the fall of the year just to see the foliage. Because to tell you the truth, there is nothing else like it. Lest you cross over into New Hampshire. It's the sugar maples that makes the difference. They turn a special red-orange color that makes the mountains and the hills in both places look like they got a light bulb inside them. But let's get back to the rich lady driving around looking at the foliage. You see, she wasn't the one doing the driving. She was sitting in the back seat with her little doggie, giving him doggie biscuits while she was drinking hot tea out of her thermos. The car was being driven by James. He was her chauffeur, or some such name like that. They had started out that morning in Great Barrington, Massachusetts, where the first tinges of leaf changes were happening. Then they drove right up Route 7 through Stockbridge, where the artist Norman Rockwell lived at one time. The colors of the foliage grew more and more beautiful the more they headed north. And it wasn't unusual for the lady to say, James, stop here so you can take my picture against this magnificent vista. So there was a lot of stopping and starting. The car finally crossed the border into Vermont. The Green Mountain National Forest was a sight worth seeing. The car continued on toward Manchester, where the rich lady wanted to stop at the famous Equinox house for a nice luncheon and to freshen up. Now, James, the lady said, looking up from her road map, I suggest we continue up Route 7 until we reach Rutland. Then we can go on Route 4 all the way to Woodstock where we will spend the night. Yes, madam, James answered. More driving, more photos. When they got near to Wallenford, more and more meadows filled with black and white cows began to appear. James, the rich lady said, can you tell me what time it is? My wristwatch seemed to have stopped. Oh, dear madam, James answered. It seems as though my pocket watch has stopped as well. The car didn't have a clock, believe it or not. 
It had a little vase with a rosebud in it by one of the back windows, but no clock. Suddenly, as they came round the curve in the road, they saw a farmer standing by his fence. Stop, James, the rich lady said. Perhaps that farmer can tell us what time it is. Yes, madam, James replied. He put the car in reverse and backed up to where the farmer was. The lady rolled down her window. My good man, she said a bit loudly, can you perhaps tell us what time it is? Ayah, the farmer answered. Just let me get my cue. He walked a ways into the field and called, Hey, y'all, Bessie. A great big black and white Holstein cow came walking over to the farmer, her cowbell ringing loudly. Steady now, the farmer said. Bessie stood there as still as a Woody Jackson painting. Woody paints a lot of black and white Vermont cows. The farmer leaned down and looked right under that cow. Good girl, he said as he stood up. The farmer came back to the fence. It's exactly 20 minutes past two, he politely told the rich lady. Thank you so much, the rich lady replied. She rolled up her window and instructed James to drive on. As she was setting her wristwatch, she suddenly sat straight up. James, she said, did you see that? I have never, ever seen anything like that in my life. I must find out how that farmer did that. Back up. James backed up. The farmer was still standing by the fence. The rich lady got out. My good man, she said to the farmer, that was astonishing. Exactly how did you do that? Well, madam, the farmer said, if you climb over here, I'll show you. Between James and the farmer, the rich lady got over the fence and into the meadow. Watch for the cue pies, the farmer warned. When he and the rich lady got to the same spot as before, the farmer called Bessie. The cow obediently ambled over. Steady now, the farmer said. Now, madam, if you bend down and look right underneath Bessie's belly, you can look right down to the village and see the clock on the church's staple. Wondering. The tourist was walking down a road when he saw a farmer. I'll be friendly. Hi there. Howdy. Have you lived here all your life? Not yet. Winter. The farmer who hated winter. The dividing line between Vermont and New Hampshire is the Connecticut River. Most states or cities divided by a river have the boundary between the two places somewhere in the middle of the river. Not so with Vermont and New Hampshire. New Hampshire owns the whole Connecticut River up to the shoreline on the Vermont side. So what happens, you're going to ask me, when there's a big flood and the river overflows its banks? Who pays the taxes on the land under the river? Well, to be honest, I can't tell you that because I just don't know. And I don't have the time to go to Concord or Montplaire to look it up in the state books. 
too many chores to do. But I do know this happened. The town called White River Junction was right at the place where the White River, which is in Vermont, and the Connecticut River meet each other. Now, that caused a problem for White River Junction because Vermont and New Hampshire were always arguing over the boundaries. So the town was always bouncing back and forth between the two states, especially whenever the state legislatures were mad at each other. Finally, or so I heard, don't hold me to it, I only heard it, the case went up to the Supreme Court of the United States so it could be decided once and for all whether White River Junction was in New Hampshire or Vermont. Oh, there were agreements back and forth with all the lawyers having a really good old time yelling at each other. Habeas corpus this and habeas corpus that and I object and objection overruled. It was a high old time down there in Washington, D.C. Finally, the court made the decision. White River Junction was definitely in Vermont. Since there wasn't any television in those days, all the newsreel movie companies like Path and Movie Tone came roaring up to interview the populace about the decision. They were stopping people in downtown White River Junction and in Hanover, where Dartmouth College was. Everyone had an opinion, especially those Dartmouth boys. Something about not being able to take their dates across the state line to White River Junction anymore. New Hampshire didn't have as many rules as Vermont. As one movie crew was leaving the area, they saw Frank Lampson out shoveling snow off his barn roof. The car stopped. The movie folk got out of their cars and set up their cameras, lights, and other equipment they had stored in their trunks. The reporter asked, Sir, may we ask you a couple of questions? Ayah, Frank said as he climbed off onto the huge snow pile next to his barn roof. What state was your farm in yesterday? The reporter asked. New Hampshire, Frank answered. Well, because of the courts, the reporter continued, you now live in Vermont. How does that feel? I'll tell you, Frank said. I'm right relieved. I don't think I could have survived another one of those New Hampshire winters. Asking. A blizzard raged all night long. When the tourists woke up, four feet of snow covered everything. Hello? Is there a way for me to cross the street? I want to get to my car. Nope. Well, how did you get over there? Bone here. That is the end of our story for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Join our exclusive Storyland membership on the Lotus Prison Network to get special appreciation bonuses and rewards as a valued member of our listener team. To join our membership, go to patreon.com forward slash the Lotus Prism Network. For those who like the book we read today and would like to purchase it, please click the link in the description. Follow our Facebook page so you can find us on all your favorite social media and share with your family and friends. Thank you for your support. We'll see you next time on Auntie Sandy's Storyland.